I'm Bill Russell, and I'm listening to Gospel Canada. The best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have one of my favorite RLDS historians, Bill Russell from the Community of Christ. We're going to talk about some, uh, some of his days at Graceland University and to find out that he actually coached Bruce Jenner, the Olympic decathlete, now known as Caitlyn Jenner. So that'll be a lot of fun. We're also going to talk about early RLDS uh, succession. I didn't realize that three of Joseph Smith III's children became prophet, and we'll learn a little bit more about Joseph Smith III. It's going to be a very interesting conversation, and uh, I think you'll enjoy some of Bill Russell's unique opinions. Check out our conversation. Well, welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm so excited to have, can I call you one of the premier historians in the community of Christ? You might be lying, but no, I, 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 um, <laughs> no, I, think, I think that would be okay. All right. Well, tell us who you are. I'm Bill Russell. And I have uh, sort of specialized in Latter-day Saint history since about 1960, no, since about 1970. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your, your academic background. I understand you're, you're a, a JD, you're a lawyer, I mm -hmm. guess, but you, I know you taught at Graceland. Yeah. Tell us about all your degrees, bachelors, okay. stuff like that. I, I, uh, grad, I, I took a, ma a religion major at Graceland, undergraduate. And then I, uh, uh, and then I got my Master of Divinity. That's a three-year degree uh, from the Methodist Seminary in Kansas City. I loved it. I mean, it's just some of the best professors I've ever had. Lindsey Farrago in New Testament. Uh, I've often thought of him as the best professor I ever had. What was the name of that seminary? Uh, St. Paul's School of Theology, a Methodist Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. And I, 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 loved, I just loved it there. Uh, and so I graduated there, and, and Grayson said, well, you know, we really need somebody to teach Bible and history of Christianity, and that's kind of your strength from seminary. Uh, come on up to Graceland and teach. And so I said, sure. I mean, that had always, kind of always been kind of a goal of mine to eventually teach at Graceland, although early on I thought I, I would love to be to teach to teach something and coach <laughs> at Graceland, but that that now had kind of long left my my object my objectives by this time. Uh, I did to, I did coach cross country three times during my my career three times each for a total of nine years, but that's just because I had a record running running cross country and uh, had been pretty successful at it, and so they they wrote me in <laughs> and. Uh, the first time that I coached cross, this is off off the subject. We're all into tangents on gospel tangents, so that's okay. Oh, oh, oh this is a tangent. <laughs> the first time I've coached cross country was I came to Grayson as a freshman, and and the coach and athletic director said, Russell, uh, I understand you were successful running cross country at Flint Northern High School in Michigan. I would like you to, you to start the cross country program at Graceland. So I did as a freshman. I went around the dormitories, the men's dormitories, and. Got about five or we got about six or seven guys. Because you need yeah at least five. But yeah, yeah you need five at least seven. five. Yeah. And some meets I only had five, but 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 I think I had a maximum of like a six or seven. Uh, and then I did that for three years. And then my senior year, uh, L. D. Weldon, the guy who who later would coach would would uh, coach Bruce Jenner, came my senior year. So I was able to back away from him. But the funny thing about it was uh, L. D. Weldon was the third coach 
that I had was I've had three I had three coaches, but I only I only considered him the third best. You know, my high school coach was better than any of them. He he had been he had been one of the top, top three hurdlers in the country, and I learned how, even though I was a distance runner, I knew I learned how to hurdle from 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 Norbert Radar, my coach. Yeah, he was just a terrific coach. Now yeah. wait a minute, were you at Graceland when Bruce Jenner was there? Yeah, he he was a friend of mine because. We both talked about track, you know. No way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you coach him at all? No, no, no. He had he had LD while I didn't coaching him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I did tell him, be sure and not be, be sure, and don't underestimate the importance of the of the fifteen hundred meter run, the last event in the uh, Olymp- in the uh, decathlon, because a lot of times a guy who's Good into the nine events. We'll just we'll just train for those nine events, and then just try to get it out. You know, in that last event, which is the fifteen hundred meter. And LD, uh, he was always good in the fifteen hundred meters. At, at, Bruce, and, was. Bruce was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So whether or not my, my whether or not my may give me that advice <laughs> stuck or not, I don't know. He got the gold anyway. Yeah, <laughs> one way or the other, he got yeah. the gold. That's all. So awesome. then, two times two times later. I, I coached a team for three years, and then I had other reasons to have to, have to step aside. Uh, but, but the last time was uh, there was a guy coaching both the men and the women's cross country, and the guys on the cross country team were really pretty good. And, they, and the top number one guy went to the athletic director and said, we want Bill Russell to coach us next year because we've got a good team, and he'll push us. And so, so I did it. And uh, I pushed them, and they won the they won the district, they won the, con- the conference and the district for the first time in 17 years. Wow! In, in, in that year. <laughs> so, so you're a, a, a coach champion, I guess. Well, <laughs> <laughs> at least uh, you know when you've got a. I, I had I had good people, good runners. I had four good runners. You need, they need five, but I had four freshmen. And usually one of the freshmen had come through good enough, you know, to make a, make for, make a good score. Right. So, <laughs> so anyway, I, I enjoyed, I mean, I re, every time I coached, I ran with them. So really? I always used so it you my pushed own, them. My own, my own workout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would usually finish about in the middle of the pack, you know, because I was 40 years, 40 years old. and. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that's probably a little bit off what you're what you're wanting to ask me. But <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I graduated cross country in high school. Oh, so did you? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very familiar with the sport. My son, I'll just do a little bit of bragging yeah, here. Good. Um, he he just he's in, on an LDS mission in Montana right now. Mm-hmm. And right after he graduated, he wanted to do a triathlon before. Oh. He went on his mission. Oh yeah! And he finished in second place, and it was wow. Olympic length triathlon. Oh great! I was so proud of him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And it was because of all the swimming and uh, and running that he yeah. did, and, and he was a mountain biker too. So. Oh yeah. yeah. See, I never learned how to swim, so I've never done the decathlon. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've never done that uh, that tri- triathlon. Yeah, but uh, I would love to be <laughs> qualified for it. I did run Boston Marathon. Really? And that was my best best ever. Was at Boston. Yeah. You could, did you have to qualify back then? Because yeah. I didn't have to. Oh, you did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, although I, I had just turned forty, so so that the, the uh, qualification was was slower for the old old guys. 
but uh, but I, I was able to. It's still like three and a half hours, isn't it, to qualify? Yeah, well, it was yeah three and a half hours to qualify. Then it had, it had been three flat uh, for for younger runners, but three fifty three thirty for old guy old guys. So, but uh, yeah, I just love. I, I mean, that's why I started training for the marathon. I wanted I wanted to do the Boston. You don't have to say about the Boston Marathon. It's just the Boston. I ran the Boston. <laughs> wow. So. I don't want to get too sports nerdy because I have a tendency <laughs> to do that. But was Bill Rogers there? Do you remember Bill? Yeah, Bill Rogers won the, the year I Because he's the last American to win the Boston, I think. He might be. Yeah. Yeah. So that was late 70s, early 80s, I think. Yeah, 79 is when I ran. And when I was, for, when I was uh, getting to the top of Heartbreak Hill, right. mile 20, uh, I, I heard over the loudspeaker somebody's radio, and Billy Rogers has won it again. <laughs> and I had six miles to go. <laughs> wow! But I still finished in two fifty-eight. Oh, that's yeah, a good so was, time. That's so a really good time. time. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I had no idea you were a super athlete. That's yeah. awesome. Bill, Bill Bill Rogers came to run uh, like a ten oh something in Des Moines, and so I caught a hold of him and I said, I understand that when I was at Boston in '79. When you got to the top of Heartbreak Hill, you had to crap so bad. You had to make a decision whether or not to crap or to win the race. <laughs> he said, no, that's just a myth. <laughs> oh, I was, I was so so sad that it, that was a myth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, anyways, wow. yeah, but anyway, it was a lot of fun. I, I miss it. You know, once I got to where I, I got asthma is what, 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 uh, what? And got did me you out hear? of it. Oh, wow. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to hear that. Hmm. Well, that's awesome. Well, um, one of my favorite stories. So you've been in the community. Did you grow up here in Iowa? Is that right? No, uh, my dad was a appointee, an appointee minister in the church. And so I went from Des Moines six years to Omaha to St. Joe to Flint, Michigan, and then to Graceland. Okay. So I, I was kind of around the horn because dad was a church, what they call a church appointee, but basically a full-time minister for the church. Okay, so you've grown up the, your whole life in the community of Christ yeah. or the RLDS churches yeah. that used to be on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'd like to do is talk a little bit about RLDS um, history. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse and I went to Liberty House today. Oh, good. And that was fantastic. It was Steve um, Smith your guide? Steve Smith is the head of... Was oh, it? Anyway, yeah, yeah. I, think it, I think it was. Yeah. So... Um, one of the things that was astonishing to me to, to learn was after Joseph Smith III died, which was in about 19, uh, 19, 14. 1914, that's yeah. right, that his, his three sons were the next three presidents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, David, Israel, and Wallace, is that right? Um, no, uh, the first one, the first one was... Frederick. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, Frederick Madison. That's yes. right. That's right. I, I don't know why I was blocking on him, but one reason I, I, I'll just tell you my heresy right now. I think <laughs> I think Israel. I mean, I, I think Joseph Smith the Third was just who we just who we needed. I mean, that's he, he did. I think he did a good job. In fact, some of the historians in our church, like me and Locke Mackay, who's who's descended from Joseph Smith. Uh, really are much more appreciative of Joseph the Third than we are of Joseph Jr. Oh, and uh, 
So, uh, and then my view is I wish that, but, but then after Joseph III, I wish we had just forgotten about the idea of lineage. It's, I, think it's, I think it's quite honestly a stupid idea. Uh, I mean, to be blunt, blunt about it. <laughs> I mean, and look at, look at the, 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 the remnant church is one of the splinter churches that we've had, you know, in the last, over the last 30 or 40 years. The remnant church uh, wanted to have a direct descendant. Well, they didn't have anybody that was a direct descendant in the church. Uh, Fred Larson, who became the first president, was a, was a direct descendant of, of Joseph Smith. But his three sons, none of them were active in the church. And so when he died about two or three years ago, they finally just had to go pick somebody they thought would do a good job. And that should be the way it should be. I mean, it's crazy. It's cr I mean, I mean I, back in 1972 or so, we had a, a journal published at Graceland called Courage. And I, I published an editorial which said, uh, we have debated with the Mormons as to which is a better, better method of, of succession in the church presidency, you know, uh, uh, lineage, or, uh, or uh, the, your, your method of the long, apostolic succession. Apostolic succession, you know. And so the question is not which is the best. The question is which is the worst. I mean, we could, we could have the, the old debate baits again and just exchange notes and, and debate which is the worst. <laughs> I mean, and I, I'm really serious. And I don't know, I don't know which, one, which side I would take. I mean, I just think they're both terrible. So um, how would I know what side to be for? Uh, <laughs> they're both terrible. So in other words, we, we should have had, you know, we, when we finally opened it, up, opened it up and had Grant McMurray and now Steve Vesey, well, we should have opened the door to anybody after. I mean, Joseph the Third was good because he, you know, that, that because of the timing of it and and the location of the church. We were we were we were heavily located in southern Iowa, and and uh, Joseph the Third was just and plus plus Joseph the Third had not been he'd been raised really by his mother and not by his father. And he didn't know a lot of the stuff. Because he was just 11 years old when his father 11, died? 11 and a half. Yeah. And, and he wouldn't have known hardly anything that his dad was teaching. Uh, and, and so I think, now again, I don't have proof on this because we don't, have, we don't have much in the way of sources from Emma. But I think Emma, raised Methodist, married, married this Mormon prophet, and then he's gone, and, and he had things like polygamy that she detested. I think she raised his her son or her sons uh, from a more orthodox Protestant type of type of uh, theology, and so so I just think that uh, Joseph Smith the third was the kind of education he got fit their brand of Mormonism better for the Midwest where 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 things like polygamy and baptism of the dead and all, all those more wild things you might even say more in history uh, were, not, were, not, were not included and that was very fortunate in my opinion. So, so can you walk us a little bit through RLDS history? So from what I understand, so June 27, 1844, Joseph was killed. 
Um, the RLDS Church was started April 6th, 1860. Yeah. So well, it really was underway before that. Uh, it just, April 6th was when they, they got Joseph III to, to accept the presidency of the church. It really started in 18, uh, 1852 when uh, Jason Briggs went out into a, had his, had his uh, experience, much like Joseph, uh, had his, had his uh, vision in the grove kind of experience. But anyway, he went into the grove. Jason Briggs has a, has a visionary experience? Yeah. Tell us more in, about in, that. In, I don't know about in that. In 1870, he'd been, he had been uh, with Strang. In fact, I remember seeing, uh, I came across in the Strang literature uh, a letter from, from Jason Briggs, and he said, this is in 1849, uh, he says, I know, I know that James J. Strang is, is the one, you know, is, is the true prophet. Uh, but then in, that's in 59, 50, 49, but then in 50, they find out that, uh, that, that Strang is a polygamist. And so, <laughs> they were out <out> there. <laughs> down, down he went. And uh, so, uh, so I think that, uh, uh, so now, he, the guy that he had put his faith in was, was now a heretic and a polygamist. And so he decided, uh, we've got to find, you know, some other basis for succession. And he, he kind of settled on the idea of succession. I mean, I mean, of, of uh, you know, what do you Linear call it? succession. Yeah, succession. And so, uh, so he came out of the, out of his experience with that in mind, and so that's what he was looking for, and that's what a lot of the people who joined the church were looking for, was a was a man who was, who who was, uh, uh, you know, of of the lineage of Joseph. So there's four sons of Joseph Smith, that, and of course they want the, they want the oldest son, so they want so now they want Joseph the the the, the senior jo, senior the Joseph third. the third, and so, uh, but Joseph the third at first was very much against it, right? You know he he was aware of even though he didn't know a lot of the details he was aware of the kind of life his father had lived, and he was in Nauvoo and he was he was. Uh, uh, he was he he was uh, uh, <laughs> my Parkinson's hits me too too much. But he he was but justice of the peace in Nauvoo, and uh, uh, and elected elected a number of times. Uh, and you know here you think you think with the name Joseph Smith and and everything he'd be hated by everybody, but I think because he was just a good guy unlike his father. The people around Nauvoo in in, in those environment, the environs around Nauvoo, thought this guy is all right. In fact, when, when the Civil War started, we need we need somebody to go make a big speech to try to uh, get guys to join the army, and so they said, Joseph, how about how how about uh, giving a speech to recruit some soldiers? And he said, okay. And he gave this gave a speech, and seventeen I think it was seventeen men signed up. And then after that, he thought, "What did I do?" <laughs> I mean, you know, you begin to wonder: is, is is this really something that we as a church? He wasn't in the church, but is this really something that we Christians should support? And he had he had some doubts about what he had done. 
But anyway, uh, see, he's, he's, he's he's just a respected member of the community. So uh, they had they had an RLDS church called uh, the Olive Branch in Nauvoo. Now Joseph, then when he finally finally accepted the leadership, he and Emma went to went to uh, up to Northern Island to Plano. Wait, no, they went to Plano. They went to. Uh, Oof, it's, 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 it's in the literature, but I can't think of it right now. But anyway, the two of them went up, and Joseph accepted the leadership of the church. And, and they were both accepted uh, as members of the church based on their, first, on their, on their original baptism. Right. So, uh, so anyway, and then, and then, uh, uh, so, but then, then he goes back to Nauvoo. And then he was in Nauvoo about five years before he finally went to Plano, where the church headquarters was at. He probably found it kind of hard to lead the church from, I don't know, 200 miles away or whatever that would be. So when it was about, about 1865, somewhere in there, he, he moved to, uh, to, to Plano. Okay. So the headquarters of the church was Plano. Why, why would they move it away from Nauvoo? Was there still just too much hostility in Nauvoo? Is that, is that why they I suspect Plano? it's a case of, that might, that's, that's one possibility. But another possibility is that that so many so many of the members of the church were from northern northern Illinois and Wisconsin and southern Michigan. So they were just moving where the members. They were, were probably going where the members were at. Yeah, that's my that's my guess. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Plano was the headquarters of the RLDS church for how long? Uh, let's see. So if they're Plano until they go into Lamoni, uh, and that's somewhere around 1879 or so. So they're they're about fifteen years in Plano, and then they head to Lamoni. And so, from what I understand, um, a lot of RLDS members were saying, "Hey, we want to gather someplace. Mm-hmm. Where are we to gather?" Because Missouri was still kind of yeah, hostile. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a theory that I think is, makes sense. That that, uh, but I don't know for sure that's the case. That they were thinking, let's get. I mean, I mean, Lamoni. First of all, we've got some people that have land. Our land. We got some landowners in Lamoni area, like the the Bantas and and some others, uh, and uh, so so we did have a little bit of a establishment of some of some people there with 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 some some significant land ownership, uh, and they're just three miles from the Missouri state line. Or, or so, three or four or five miles from the state line. So uh, it was a pretty good place to land if, if you ultimately... So they end, they end up taking about 20 years to gather the independence. You know, they... Uh, from Lamona. From Lamona, yeah. I mean, people just began to move to independence by, by about 1880 or so. Uh, it's, about a, it's about a 20-year proje- uh, process of, of moving and... Uh, I'm not even real positive when Joseph the third decided to make the move, but somewhere around 1800, uh, about about midway through that 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 that, that gathering period, uh, he decided to move to Independence, and, uh, and folks kept on moving. So by 18 by 1920, it was clear that that the, that the church establishment, that the church headquarters was Independence. But I'm not sure how far before that it would be a matter of everybody agrees that, 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 that that's it. I think they just saw it as a gradual process and 
Okay, so so the the headquarters. It's funny to me that there's so many different headquarters. So it went from yeah. Plano to yeah. Lamoni for yeah. 20-ish years, yeah. and then to Independence. Yeah, then Independence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, yeah. that's interesting. And so he, it's amazing to me. He lived a long time. Yeah, he he was 54 years, 54 and a half years, I believe it was, as president of the church. How old was he when he became president? Do you know? Uh, Late twenties, I think. Yeah, about, about uh, I think about twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. okay, so. And then add fifty-four to that, and he's pretty old when he dies. Well, ni- yeah, so nineteen forty. So he was probably yeah, seventy years oldish. At least, yeah, at yeah. least, yeah. Yeah, well, Israel was 84, I think, when he died by automobile accident. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's, uh, yeah, he, and that's an interesting story, I think. Uh, he, 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 he'd been told that, you know, you're 84 years old, and you probably, you know, and you're president of the church, we can find a driver for you, easy. Anybody, you know, people happy to drive the, to drive the prophet to a, to a meeting. So he had a, a date to give a sermon here in Lamoni Stake at the Lamoni Congregation uh, to be the kind of the keynote of their state conference. And there was somebody who was supposed to drive him up, but he kind of resented that, uh, I guess. And so he just went out and got in the car and, started, and took off. But then it turned out to be a very rainy day, and, and his 84-year-old eyes weren't very good. And he ended up going across the center lane and hitting somebody. Killed him. It didn't kill those people. And they, they, the two people, I think, in the car. And they recovered fairly fast. A story I like, a good friend of mine uh, is a, is a, was raised on a farm near Lamoni. And he and his father, about the time he was graduating from high school, he and his father were at some, some, some sale uh, south of, in the south in in the in the, on, in the Missouri border somewhere, and there was this guy at the sale. He said, "Yeah, uh, I I just about got killed by the Mormon prophet last year." <laughs> and these two RLDS guys were there. They probably just let it let it ride. But <laughs> yeah, because you don't, you don't call yourselves Mormons, right? Really? No, no. Yeah. Uh, see. Tom Harkin, our former senator, congressman and senator, I knew him pretty well from before he was a senator or congressman. And uh, but the first time he was at Graceland speaking, and, and he was he was getting ready to run for Congress, and he 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 had uh, thought he had thought we were Mormons, and he read up on the Mormons and stuff, and he said, you know, well, you know, uh, I. He's, he's Catholic, you know, but not he's a non-practicing Catholic. But he said, uh, you know, I'm I, I really respect the Mormons. Uh, they they have a very good work ethic, you know, and, and so forth. And they're, you know, honest men and honest men and women and so forth. And so I see, see he, let's tell this story today. <laughs> so I get him aside and I say, Tom, we're not Mormons. And this is way back in 1972. And so I hadn't really been schooled yet in the idea that we really all are, are all Mormons, you know, because we're all out of that out of that thing. And I said, you know, we're not Mormons. 
we don't even like him. <laughs> and so he still tells that story. Like he was at he was at a fundraiser for a Graceland student who was in the, in the legislature, and I went to the fundraiser, and he saw me, and he comes over and he and he laughed about it and everything. And and he's told that story at, at, at to even today, at, like Bill Bill Moraine, editor of our journal, he was at another meeting. And and uh, Harkins saw Bill, got talking to Bill, and then he told the whole group about about his experience. The old Russell gets me aside. No, we're not. We're not. Uh, we're not Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> but still, but then as I get studying Mormon history, I think it's legitimate to say we're all Mormons. I mean, you now we just we have a whole we have a bunch of there's just a bunch of Mormon churches that have that have developed out of the Joseph Smith experience. That seems like makes sense to me, but uh, I know it doesn't make sense to the guys. It's a 36-story building. At least the guys, the, the 15 guys that are in charge. <laughs> I, I don't think that's. I don't think that's. Uh, that's their idea at all. Because <laughs> it seems like they, they, they are trying to say that you're, you're only a Mormon if you t- take the take the whole ball of wax at the Utah church puts forth <laughs> right well are there any because i know 1984 was a big year in our lds mm-hmm. history with the ordination of women mm-hmm. um, which was six years after the lds revelation that allowed blacks mm-hmm. um, before we go there because i think that's an important thing i want to highlight are there any what are kind of some of the big events between say 1914 when joseph the third died and 1984 when Revelation happened. Are there? What are the highlights of RLDS history? Well, um, Joseph. I mean, I mean, the, the Fred M. Smith, the guy whose name I couldn't even think of. Uh, Fred M. Smith with his PhD from Clark University. I think it is out in, out, out east uh, in social in social psychology. I think. Um, my view, he's not was not a good president of the church at all, uh, and that's because I think he was so. You know, maybe it's because of his PhD. He thinks he's so much smarter than everybody else, or, or what. But at any rate, uh, he he had big fights with the elders in the church and stuff. Uh, and uh, so Smith, I mean, I mean, uh, supreme directional control. He he ultimately came to the idea that the, the prophet, you know, I'm the prophet. So you should you should do what I say, <laughs> and so the prophet we have supreme directional control in the church, and so uh, what I say you, people should obey, and that's just nonsense. Uh, and so uh, uh, I think he was a very poor, very poor uh, prophet, and then uh, uh, so so that period from. 1815, when he when he became the head of the church, and then 1846 when he died, then that's that's the Fred. 1915. Yeah, 1915 and 19, 1946. Then then he dies, and then uh, uh, he hadn't left any kind of message as to who should re- replace him, probably because the the, the only real. Uh, inheritor of the church is Israel A. Smith and Israel A. Smith was in the bishopric that had fought tooth and nail with the presidency back in the 20s over Smith's record. Now, now Israel might have just 
felt like he needed to support the, the presiding bishop. And, but because all, all three members of the bishopric quit, resigned uh, in 25. Um, and so then, then Israel Smith goes back into law practice. He was a lawyer, uh, not a very good one, but he, he was a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like he wasn't a very good one, but, but I don't really know. Uh, you know, I don't know enough about it. But uh, uh, so anyway, he, but, but he's, finally Fred M. brings Israel into the presidency in 19, 1938. Um, and he's, he makes a statement well, if he, be, if he becomes president of the church, then you'll have, you'll have some, some experience. And so six years later, Fred M. dies, and Israel A. becomes the president of the church. And Israel A. was a real nice guy. I mean, he, he learned from the mistakes of his brother. Uh, he, he realized... Uh, uh, Norma Hiles has a good... good uh, uh, title for, for the book she wrote about Israel A. Smith, so, The Gentle Monarch. You know, she, he, was a, he, was, he was a monarch. I mean, he was the head of the, he had the, he had the divine right of kings in his favor, but he realized that, that you've got to be a gentle monarch. You can't be, a, you can't be like my older brother who, was, who, who, who really didn't handle things well at all. And, 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 and well, and in the middle of that, in 1925, a lot of people left the church. And, and a lot of them joined the Hedrickite Church, okay. and, and some of them just probably left. Left. They had a thing where they would the Temple Lot Church and the RLDS mm. Church would recognize each other's baptisms, right? Well, there was some kind of a around 1818. There was some kind of a, a study where where the people from both churches got together and and came up with some kind of a, 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 a letter of, a, of agreement or something. So there was, there was some sort of agreement between them, but nothing much happened out of, as a result of it. Uh, and the the the, the uh, Temple Lot Church was just anxious to build the temple. And I don't know if you know this, but they got the they got the temp, the, <laughs> te the temple um, foundation. They, they, they got the they got the whole. They got the dug. whole but, but, yeah. <laughs> And then they just ran out of money. Because <laughs> the depression hit. Yeah, the depression hit. Yeah. And so, uh, I don't know, after several years went by, finally the city of Independence said to the Temple Lot Church, you fill that hole. <laughs> so they had to fill the well, hole. Well, because I've heard, because uh, the story, one of the things, mm -hmm. this is a great story that I love, is because Harry Truman's from Independence, yeah. the mm -hmm. President of the United States. Yeah. And so when he was leaving office, they were like, we don't want to look at this eyesore anymore. Oh. Fill up that hole. Oh. Well, I don't know if Harry had anything to do with it or not. I think it was indirectly. I don't think he demanded oh. it, but people were like, when Harry Truman oh, okay. comes home, we don't want him to see this big hole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because that's, that's, that's pretty near. I mean, his, walk, his daily walk would often go past, past the church. Um, <clears throat> one, one, one story that uh, one of our appointing ministers heard somebody tell and passed it on was that somebody said that uh, they're walking down the street with Harry Truman and they, and they came within eyeshot of the of the RLDS auditorium, and somebody said, "No, what what is that building over there?" And he just said, "Oh, it's just those damn Mormons." <laughs> 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 but uh, so yeah, he, he uh, yeah he, he he went out on his daily walks. I I I lived uh, for a couple two or three years. I lived pretty close to his house, 
and I kept hoping I'd see him on his day. Yeah, I kept hoping I'd see him on his daily walk sometime. But I only saw him once, and it wasn't on his daily walk. <clears throat> it was Sunday, and we'd gone to church, and then my wife and I uh, had gone to eat at a little Kelsey's restaurant, which is right across the street from the Independence Hospital, which is just like half a mile or a little bit more up the up the road from Harry's house. Well, all of a sudden, a uh, limousine pulls up, and uh, the, 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 the limousine driver is driving Harry and Bess. And so Harry and Bess get out of the car, and they walk into Kelsey's restaurant. And there was only about four, five or six people there I mean, being served. And, they, and uh, well, my wife and I were at one side of, the little, of this little restaurant, and, and they, they, they sat down at the other side, and nobody paid any attention to him other than the, the person that, that, that uh, waited on him, waited on him, but nobody went over and, and said hello. Nobody asked for an autograph or anything. And we didn't either. We just, we thought it was really cool. We saw Harry and Bess over there, you know. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a Democrat. I, I like Harry Truman. And, uh, but I still, uh, you know, didn't, I just didn't think it was appropriate to go over and inter interrupt somebody's meal, you know. So after a while, we, but we waited until he left. And so pretty soon they finished their meal and got up and went out and got in the limousine and went back home. <laughs> my, my dad uh, really liked Harry Truman. Dad voted for, for uh, Dewey in 44. And I just assumed, I, I, was, I was a little kid, I just assumed in, in 48 that he would vote for, Truman, for Dewey again. But at supper time, one of us said, well, Dad, who'd you vote for? Well, I voted for Truman. You did? No, we didn't, didn't, didn't expect that. But he, he, he really liked Truman. Well, I don't know if you remember when uh, a movie star named Whit, Whitcomb or somebody like that uh, did, a, did a, just a one-man show when he just, he just talked like he was Harry Truman. And uh, so my dad thought, well, he since he liked Harry Truman, he'll go to it. And he went to it, and then in the middle of it, he left and came home. And I said, well, why did you, why did you leave? He said, oh, Harry Truman didn't swear like that. Swear like that. <laughs> well, I saw the movie too, and I would, and I don't know, but I think, yeah, I kind of suspect Harry swore like that. <laughs> I, I suspect they, you know, they'd researched. Well, didn't his. they call him, give him hell, Harry? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, yeah, he's, uh, uh, and, and you know, and 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 G. Leslie Delap, our presiding bishop, knew Harry really well. And it's said he, he was a big figure in the Democratic Party, in, in, at least in the Independence area. And they say that uh, on, uh, on election night of 1948, that uh, Bishop DeLapp was at Harry Truman's hideaway in Excelsior Springs. And I, and I suspect that's true. I mean, G.G. Leslie DeLapp was very active in the Democratic Party. And... Uh, and uh, I suspect that's that's a true story, but I don't know. <laughs> wow! But Delap, yeah. Delap was Delap was well established in the Democratic Party in in, Decatur, in, in uh, Jackson County. Well, I'll just tell my listeners: if you ever make it to Independence, you got to see the Harry Truman Library. Yeah, it's yeah, really cool. oh yeah. And Lois and I just drove by it this afternoon. We did that when MHA was there a few years ago, so yeah. it's a lot of fun. But mm -hmm. well, cool. Well, let's. Uh, Anything else between, say, Truman and 1984 before we move on to 84? Uh, 
No, it's just, I guess I would say that Joseph, uh, there's a huge difference between Joseph the third and his son Wallace B. Smith. Uh, and uh, so Joseph the third, uh, the old man, you may call him, uh, he was opposed to women in the priesthood. And in 1970, Harold, he's interviewed, and he says, it's a, I mean, it's a terrible interview. It's, uh, he says, uh, uh, well, I, yeah, I, if you, my own personal opinion is uh, we probably shouldn't uh, ordain women. Uh, women are, are, are more suited for, you know, <laughs> you know, taking care of the kids and I mean it was just that that crap that uh, that some you know some people will say about why women should be be quiet and shut up and not and not uh, not not take any to take any important role and so I mean you might you probably know Levina Feeling Anderson she's I one, do she's one of my well, best friends I know of her but yeah she 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 I had her read my uh, whichever chapter whichever book this that I talk about this and um, which I haven't published yet, but anyway, <laughs> Levina said, "Oh, I mean, she just—I can't remember how, how all the things she said." <laughs> but she was so disgusted with such a stupid, you know, statement by the about women by the by the president of our church. <clears throat> well, then um, by 1970, there's a strong there's a there's a strong sense of of the need in the church to, to ordain women. And every conference since beginning in 18, 1950, every world conference, there is some sort of resolution made uh, about women. Let's, let's, let's put women in more in, in positions of leadership that don't require priesthood. You know, we can go that, we can go that far. You know, and so uh, so uh, of, and, and then finally, I think, in, I think about in 1980, no, before that, about 76 or so, a resolution from the first presidency says, well, we'll ordain women when the president of the church or the presidency of the church, I can't remember which, uh, say it's, it's time. It's time for it. And I'm thinking, Wallace is against it. He's still the president of the church. And so the thing, I mean, much as I dislike so many things about Wallace Smith, and I can tell you some more things, but... Uh, but the thing that I, that I appreciate about him is that he pretty much left left it to his two counselors, Morris Draper and uh, and and Dwayne uh, Cooey. Uh, they were strongly for women in the priesthood. So apparently, he just said, "If uh, let's just say that if there comes a point where the president of the church or the first presidency want women in the priesthood, we'll go that way." Okay, so I want to make sure I have my Wallace's yeah. straight because yeah. there's W. Wallace Smith mm -hmm. and there's Wallace B. Smith. Yeah. Wallace B. is the son of Wallace, yeah. mm -hmm. who is the son of Joseph Smith III, correct? Yeah. No, wait, no, no, no. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And so W. Wallace Smith, what, when did he serve approximately? Do you have he years? became president of the church in 19... Uh, 1958. 1958. And served so that's David O'McKay era for our LDS audience. What's that? I said that's the David O. McKay era for our LDS oh, audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he so he served from 58 until when? Um, 20, 20 years till 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 78. 
Yeah, and then his son will be. See, his son is an eye doctor. He's born in 29. Wallace is, I think he, I think he got a, just a, like an AA degree at Graceland or something like that. And, and, and Wallace was born like in 19, 1890, 1899 or something. It's, it's, so there's, there's three, three decades difference. And there's just, and then there's a huge difference in their education. Uh, well, you know, like like when I interviewed Wallace, he said, "Well, you know, I'm, I mean, as a as a medical doctor, we're we're interested in Wallace B. Right? Wallace B. tells me we're interested in, in in real facts, you know, and not not just not just." So guessing. W. Wallace only had an associate's degree, but Wallace B. had a PhD. As it, no, no, M. MD, MD MD from University of Kansas, and yeah. Wow, that's quite an education difference there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think there's one thing, I think the uh, Smith... So W. Wallace was the one who gave the terrible interview about women in priesthood. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I do think, though, that uh, one thing I like about, I mean, one thing I like about the Smith gang, the Smith boys, if you want to call, it, call, call them that, is I, I think they, they all, I think even W. Wallace va- valued education. And W. Wallace hired, I mean, he, he appointed well, well-educated, at least uh, men and late and more late. Well, he never appointed any women. Uh, yeah, yeah, W. Wallace, I think there weren't any women around yet. I, I think it was, it was left to, to, for Grant McMurray to, to appoint the first women to the, to, to oh, well, at least to, to uh, so, so W. Wallace was from 58 until 78. Yeah. And then his son, Wallace B., was president from 78. And he... To 96, yeah. 90, and he resigned in 96. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and turned it over to, to Grant McMurray. Grant McMurray. And so, um, so W. Wallace, did he die in office or was no, he... No, no. He just uh, resigned as well. Yeah, yeah. That's very I think, different from when the LDS church yeah. died to get out of the, to quit being prophet. And that's another good thing about W. Wallace. He, he he resigned rather than live. See, he lived until he was about eighty nine or something like that. You know, he resigned. I mean, he 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 he, he thought it didn't make any sense for him to keep on being the president of the church. He he hardly had a. Any, any life left in it. Was that a big deal or a big controversy? In not the really. No? Not really. I think most people accepted that. I mean, that's my impression. Most people accepted that very well. That, uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense for a guy to be president of the church until he's 90 years old, you know. I remember when, when David O. McKay got to be president of the Utah church, I came into my church history class that day and I said, well, there's a, the Mormons have a new, a new president. Oh, really? Really? Who is it? What's well, David O. McKay? I think I got this. No, I got, I got this wrong. David O. McKay left. Uh, David O. McKay uh, was the president, and he is uh, ninety-six years old. Ninety-six years old. They say, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "But don't worry, they got a young cat. It's ninety-three. <laughs> Joseph Fielding Smith. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, yeah, I think, you know, I, I just think that for the RLDS, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's one thing that, that just didn't make sense, you know. Not, don't serve until you die. Yeah, don't serve until you die for crying out loud. We, all, of us, all of us want to retire at some point, you know. Huh. We know was, we, was, he the, was W. Wallace the first to retire? 
Yeah. That's probably a better word than Israel. Yeah, yeah, because Israel, Israel got killed in an accident. Everybody before that died. Normal, normal death, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was Wallace B. Smith that presided over the 1984 revelation, which... But Wallace B. presided over the... Yes. Yeah. And so... Um, What I understand with so 1984, that was that was a tumultuous year. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people left the church because and and because what I've understand one of the things in an LDS church, you know, we have this thing about common consent, but it's Mm. basically everybody just raised their (laughs) hand, pretty thoughtlessly, in a lot of cases, I would say, but in the our LDS church, you guys really hammer out and yeah. debate these things, and yeah. and uh, so 1984. T- can you talk about that time when the, yeah. when that revelation came well, out? Well, so the so the revelation uh, it was fairly typical for the president of the church on about Monday or Tuesday of, of the week long world conference to say, okay, I've, I've got a revelation, and they'll send that revelation to each of the quorums. So the you know, the Quorum of Presidency and the Twelve and the Bishopric and the High Priest and the Elders. And then, and then they just have a, a Quorum of the, uh, of the uh, Aaronic Priesthood. And then le- more recently, we've added the Quorum of Members. People who are just members but aren't, aren't being any priesthood. Isn't there a High Council as well? But, uh, well, there's a High Council, but that's not, well, let's see. But that's, that's not one of the Quorums that vote on it. And so then they'll, they'll, they'll meet in the morning. This is one of the things I've really publicly objected to. Uh, they'll meet in the morning. And uh, this, this is changing under Grant McMurray and Steve Easy. So, but they, they meet in the morning. And, and, um, and then they'll vote after, after discussion. They'll vote. And, uh, and then they'll come in the, and in the afternoon. There'll be a, a meeting of of everybody, all the delegates uh, will meet in a general session that afternoon, and then they'll call on somebody to speak for each quorum, and they'll get up and say, well, the, the high priest quorum voted, you know, unanimously or strongly in favor, or maybe they'll, uh, well, anyway, okay, in, that, in 196, I've, I've looked through the 1984 votes, and the 70s tended to be the most conservative people. Uh, you know, they're out there telling people <laughs> the traditional message, you know, that we've been, you know, we've been te- teaching for years, and we don't believe that anymore. <laughs> and so they had, they had a couple de- a couple quorums that voted, had a majority voted no, and some other quorums that was like tied, and then some other quorums it was close. So the, the, the real interesting votes were among the, the the uh, 70s. Oh, now, there's other, the other quorums typically had some negative votes too, especially the elders' quorum. High priests, they tend to be more you know, older. You'd think of, think of the older as maybe more conservative, but they're, they're older, but yet they've <clears throat> been around and, and they, they're, more, they're, they're a little bit more accepting of change, whereas it's often the elders. And maybe that's a case of the elders. Uh, because they're conservative and opposed changes, haven't been ordained high priest. High priest yeah, they're still elders, and they're voting no on uh, on the uh, on the revelations. But anyway, yeah, it was a so so. But but in the actual vote, 
they never took an actual I mean they never took an actual vote which I wish they had but the vote was um, people just have to estimate the hands and then it was about about 80 to 20 in favor of women's ordination I wish they had an actual vote because we could say you know the vote was X XYZ uh, and because some people say oh no we really had more like 40% you know and stuff like that but uh, but I think 20% I mean I wasn't there so I, uh, I didn't go to that conference uh, except on the weekends but uh, I, I had all kinds of grading to do at Graceland so I didn't go down during the week I just did the two weekends um, but anyway yeah that's that's uh, that's how, how that that conference went some people I, I have some friends who are restorationists now um, <clears throat> who just left and went home. One of my best friends is one of the leaders of the restoration movement. And he's from New, he was from New Jersey. And most of the New Jersey delegation just Thursday after the vote got up and left and started for home. And so we had a lot, lot smaller crowd <laughs> during the later meetings. So... I don't know if that gets what you're looking for. Yeah, so one of the things, I know, because uh, there was a lot of turmoil in the church in 84 over mm -hmm. women's ordination, because I've heard, I don't remember if it was VZ or McMurray, one of the two, I believe, or, or even could have been somebody else, said that they learned from this contentious time in 1984 mm -hmm. that you can't just throw a revelation at people Right. You have to give them time to discern. Absolutely. And so that that in 1984 resulted in a lot of conservative members basically leaving the the RLDS yeah. church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where I think the Joint Conference of Restoration Bishops or branches, JCRB, the, oh, several different groups. Yeah. There's and a, then yeah, there's the yeah. Uh, Remnant Church, which you mentioned. Um, that a lot of these groups were just like, no, we don't want females ordina ordained. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bill Russell, a Community of Christ historian. In our next conversation, Bill is going to give a story about Laban, and suffice it to say, he does not like that story. Is that uh, the story of Laban is a terrible story. Uh, it should never have been in the book of Scripture. It should, I mean, I, mean, I realize there's going to be things in the book of script, in Scriptures that there's a lot of things in Scripture that are they're terrible, you know. We should realize. I think we have a we have a, a moral obligation to teach our children the things that are good from the scripture and tradition and the tradition of the church, and we also have a moral obligation to to teach to teach them that there are certain things that are really bad that we should avoid, and that's one of them. If you like what we're doing at Gospel Tangents, please support us. Go to gospeltangents.com and you can get full interviews as well as transcripts if you'd like those. So click here to subscribe and over here you can see some of our other great videos. Thanks again.